2: Thanks for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nigut. Um, yeah, we're diverting a bit from our usual conversations about politics today to talk about a couple of subjects that I think are in the news as much, if not more, than uh, political headlines these days. I don't think too many days go by that we are all not reading about or seeing on TV something about the astonishing developments in artificial intelligence. And uh, maybe even more than that, uh, chatbots. Um, We think about uh, the development, there are now several chatbots out there, but ChatGPT was the one that came out first and started getting people thinking about the extraordinary ability that computers now have to uh, speak to us directly Uh, to run aspects of our lives in a way that uh, free us from some of the routines that we have to do. There are some people who think there are dangers involved in all of that. And we'll talk about this on the show today, but as a starting point, I just really want to talk about what is AI in its simplest form, and then what are chatbots? And we have two terrific guests from Georgia Tech uh, uh, to do that. uh, first, uh, Dr. Mark Rydell is a professor in the Georgia Tech School of Interactive Computing. And, and I almost never read a bio on the air, Mark, but I'm going to do this with you and Brian. You're the associate director of the Georgia Tech Machine Learning Center, and your research focuses on human-centered artificial intelligence, the development of artificial intelligence, and machine learning technologies that understand and interact with human users in more natural ways. And I'm, you're the perfect guy, along with your colleague, to have on the show. But first, let me thank you for being here, Mark.
1: My pleasure to be here.
2: And also, let me uh, introduce uh, Professor uh, uh, Brian uh, McGurko. Dr. McGurkow, again, reading from the bio, is a professor of digital media, director of graduate studies in digital media, and head of the Expressive Machinery Lab at Georgia Tech. Or i right, I'm gonna stop immediately. What is an expressive machinery lab?
0: So, uh, you know, I wanted to make it clear that we studied creativity and computers, but we also study creativity in people and the relationship between people and computers. So instead of calling it something like creative systems, which was sort of what I was going with for a time, um, decided that expressive machinery was a little bit more evocative. And I, and I evoked a question, so I guess it works.
2: One of the things that I love about uh, the fact that you're with us <clears throat> is you're in the school of literature, media, and communications, which we don't normally associate, I think, with computers. And so you are concerned and interested in the creative aspects of AI and uh, chatbots, <clears throat> excuse me. So let's start our conversation. And, and I wanna start with this. When I was preparing to talk to you two, I thought, well, why don't I ask ChatGPT a question about the conversation? And here's what I said, why would I feel nervous about talking to two Georgia Tech professors about subjects as complicated as AI and chatbots? And I wanna tell you um, what uh, the uh, ChatGPT said back to me. That's an interesting question. Chatbots are software applications that can simulate human conversation using natural language processing and artificial intelligence. Georgia Tech is a leading institution in computer engineering and chatbot research. They've developed several chatbots for different domains such as Jill Watson, a teaching assistant bot, for online courses, and then it goes on. And I said, "Well, who, who's Jill Watson?" And uh, ChatGPT said, uh, "Can you uh, said she is an artificial language that was developed at Georgia Tech uh, to actually teach uh, in a classroom setting, right?" So, if I got so far, that was a pretty good answer uh, uh, to that. I I, I thought, right.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jill Watson, uh, which is a, a project from our our colleague Ashok Goal here at Georgia Tech, is it's not it's not quite a, a teacher like model. It's it's more of a TA. It's a helper for teachers. So it's a really good example of sort of how this technology can be assistive for for people that are in the loop rather than like the the worrisome. Concept of, of replacing people, but so Jill Watson, if you if you're running it on your class, you can ask questions about the syllabus, when are class, you know when when does the class meet, when are office hours, uh, when's the exam going to be, how much is my homework worth, that kind of that kind okay. of stuff.
2: Okay, uh, Mark, let's go back and talk about what underlies uh, uh, chatbots, and that's the whole not notion of artificial intelligence, right? What exactly is artificial intelligence?
1: that's the that's the tricky question start out with a hard one so artificial intelligence is something that there, there isn't a really great definition but I think what a, what a lot of people will kind of consider is that an intelligent system is anything that can pre- perform behaviors that um if, if a human were to do it we would probably say was non-trivial or required a little bit of of thinking behind the scenes um so this evokes kind of the notion of human-like intelligence but what we actually tend to build more nowadays are not things that are meant to mimic how humans think or what humans do perfectly, but to focus on one very specific kind of slice of um, complex behavior. Um, now in chatbots, this is uh, mimicry of, of language production.
2: So um, I went back and looked at the history of artificial uh, intelligence, Brian, and, and it, it... What I learned is that it was a group of academics way back in the 1950s who actually set out to build a machine that they said, quote, could do anything the human brain could do. Skills like reasoning, problem solving, learning new tasks, and um, communicating using natural language. And what they developed was something called a neural network. Um now Brian a neural network sounds like a brain but that's really not what it is at all it's a mathematical system
0: Yeah that's right you know it's it's great that you your your research went back that far there's the original Dartmouth summit where a lot of the luminaries who were thinking about AI got together and really first, I think, coined coined the phrase artificial intelligence. But the along with learning and, and some of the other the other uh, abilities that you were talking about there, they actually cast uh, uh in in their article uh, creativity as being one of the the pillars that we should be reaching for in research, which was I think very present of them at the time and and only in the the past few decades have we really started to especially in the past decade really been paying attention to that kind of full speed
2: so to create a a neural network um mark you start feeding huge amounts of data into a computer right and and the computer looks at the data and it finds statistical patterns that it links is able to link together so i think i'm right that if you were to start um feeding thousands of photographs of, say, dogs into an artificial intelligence network, into a neural network, eventually, that computer would be able to recognize a dog. Yeah?
1: That's pretty much correct. You you should teach my class. So, um, yes, so neural networks are large uh, mathematical systems for finding and extracting patterns. Uh, There is one extra piece of information that um, we have to consider, which is you not only provide the input stimuli, so in, in your case, pictures of dogs, but you also have to tell it which pictures are dogs and which pictures are not dogs. So when you talk about these statistical patterns, it's trying to correlate inputs to outputs. And so we don't necessarily want to say that computers teach themselves. Um, we teach the computers. And we teach the computers through repetition of stimulus and response uh, pairs.
2: Ryan?
0: Yeah, it's you know, honestly, it's really important to to mention that a lot of the the big artificial intelligence models that are out there are heavily driven by human labor. Um, there's a lot of, of human work that goes into saying this is a dog, this is not a dog for these training sets that we're giving um, these these networks. And um, I just want to point out that a, a neural network, just because you you tell it this is a dog, this is not a dog, and you give it lots of pictures of dogs, doesn't mean it understands or knows what a dog is. It knows that these kinds of pixels Match with this kind of word, and it doesn't even understand what a word is in, in like culturally. It just knows that it's some letters put together. So while it might recognize that thing, it it is a, a big topic of conversation for folks as to whether or not it understands
2: that thing. So, so to put this in language that most of us are familiar with, um, Siri and Alexa are both examples of machines that use a neural network. To be able to listen to what we ask of them and respond is is if i got that right mark
1: yeah that's right so what their neural networks or their machine learning systems will do in in systems like siri and cortana and alexa they're focusing on the language so sound waves so patterns of sound waves that relate to words and again without understanding the words they understand when this particular word is uttered, then this is the particular response, like open my calendar or set my timer, or things like that. So there is a lot of power that can be had through um, giving computers and programming computers examples of inputs and outputs that don't necessarily require understanding as the way we think of humans understanding things.
2: Okay, so while the ball's in your court, let me ask you about what I think was a huge development much more recently than the development of neural networks back in many years ago, large language models—they didn't come along until about five years ago. Mark, what are large language models, and why did they did they uh, mean there was going to be a big advancement in AI?
1: Yeah, so large language models are neural networks, um, and as opposed to working on pictures of dogs and and just dis- and words like dogs and not dog. Um, these are neural networks that take in sequences of words and then try to predict which word should come after them. So given a set of input words, what should it say next? And this is a pattern that that is very familiar to us because well, we're, here, we're here having a conversation now. I provide a set of words, you respond with a set of words. Um, so what these models are doing is they're basically trying to predict what we as humans would say, or more accurately, what we would write down on the internet, which is the source of where this data comes from. Now, as to why they're having kind of this big, particular um, significant moment in time, I think is because language itself is very powerful. So a lot of the, um, the business that we do, the lot of interactions that we do um, are through language. So language isn't thought, but language is really the way that we communicate thought. So a a language model in trying to predict what we might say next or what another person might say next to us is in some ways um, approximating um, the sort of mental cognitive kind of processes that we might have as we communicate with each other. But just like the dog picture doesn't really understand what a dog is, these systems don't necessarily understand what the words mean. They just know that these certain words tend to appear other after other certain words.
2: Mark, I wanna bring you in, but let me ask you a question as I lead into you. Um, So when I sit down on Windows 11 and I start writing an email, uh, Windows 11 is gonna sometimes uh, get me, I'm gonna get to a certain word and Windows 11 is gonna add the next words that thinks are in that sequence. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, often it's wrong and it irritates me, but sometimes it's right. Is that essentially an example of what we're talking about?
1: Yes, that um, our, our autocorrect systems are very small language models. And so they only look at a couple words at a time and then try to predict the next word. It, you know, we add this word large to it when we talk about large language models, which are able to take large amounts of text at once and then spit out large amount of text. So they are, they are autocorrect um, writ large at, at scale.
0: Ryan? Yeah, Mark brought up a, a good point about um this the, the these being trained with lots of data. Um they uh, uh, from the internet. So if you think about the average person in the world, or even individuals if like across the world, how many of those are represented by the average discussion on the internet? If you know your mileage may vary. So uh, there's definitely a slant, a bias towards younger people on the internet, towards Western-speaking people on the internet, et cetera, technologically savvy people on the internet, et cetera. So you wind up getting trained on a subset of human, you know, the gestalt of 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 the way that people think about the world. And there's there's some like uh, uh, challenges that come with that in terms of encoding bias that exists on the internet. Anything that you see on the internet is embedded in these models, right or wrong. And that's part, one of the things that the community is trying to understand and, and struggle with, maybe maybe some more than others, um, is, is how to address that issue. Like if, you know, you, you know, even even just simple stuff like encoding the word doctor, you'll see a, a, a female doctor or woman doctor, but you won't see male doctor produced. And that's just like little subtle instances like that of, of bias or ageism, which is prevalent on the internet, et, et cetera.
2: Well, so that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you, as a matter of fact, Brian. Um, I got my first computer long before either of you guys were born. I, I I got I was an early adopter. I had an Apple II. And one of the first things I learned when I purchased my first home computer, which was unbelievably thrilling, was the maxim that I think still applies: garbage in, garbage out. And there's a way, Brian, in which what you're suggesting is that what's fed into an artificial intelligence system can have some impact on what it spits back out again. And that's why some people are worried a bit about how AI, how rapidly it's developing and what it might become, right?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, garbage in garbage out isn't a a bad way of putting it. Um, There was was an example of a language model last year that was trained all on 4chan discussions um, and uh, if you if you know you're not familiar, 4chan is pretty much where the worst conversations on the internet happen. Um, and you can it was released and immediately pulled pulled back because it was just this awful thing to release into the world. So you know we're not there with Bing and and with ChatGPT. Um, it's not just focused on 4chan, but um, how to uh, determine does it have the right data. Does it have the right, you know, th- the right things that we want to train it on and who even determines that is all a very difficult part of this.
2: So, um, Mark, there was a letter written by uh, a couple hundred, I think, uh, uh, tech experts, um, people like Elon Musk also waited on this, asking that people slow down in AI research for a period of months, warning that uh the way AI is developing and chatbots particularly could literally change the outcome of human life as we know it. That sounds like something out of a science fiction uh, movie, but is there some truth to that?
1: Well, there's some truth to it. And I think there's a little bit of hyperbole to that. I think there's kind of two things happening at two different levels here right now. One is that, um, whatever the rate of research that's happening in in artificial intelligence, the rate of deployment has definitely increased. And I think there has been in the last months, a, a rush to deploy new services, new products, um, and, and in that rush, you kind of sometimes sacrifice on a little bit of thoughtfulness and critical decisions about what is the right way to deploy things, when are the right times, and, and how they should be deployed. And this acerbates some of the, uh, the things that Brian was talking about in terms of if a system is um, has some sort of underlying prejudicial bias to it or is prone to make mistakes, Um, these systems are being put out there for people to encounter those biases and encounter those mistakes. So we can talk about um, the safety of these systems as the impact that they have on people's lives. Um, If they're making decisions on behalf of people and they make errors, can that impact people? Are they being used to 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 um, displace people in the workforce. Um, the the second thing that I there's a second level here though that I think that that letter got to, which is kind of a more extreme concern about um, not just kind of the rapid changes that um, society might happen, but um, there's a little bit of a notion that uh, a little bit of a rise of the robots sort of sort of um, narrative going on. Um, not everyone kind of believes that sort of thing. But um, you can look at it at either research is treading into unsafe territories. But from my perspective, there's also the deployment is happening faster than um, is maybe wise. You want to weigh in on that, Brian?
2: Yeah. So,
0: you know, uh, the, the follow up to that letter is a month later, Elon Musk started his own startup to compete with everyone. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, no no one was surprised, but I think it just underlines the the tension between what's good for society, what is maybe ethical, and what the free market is demanding. or what uh, folks in in you know industry um, who are motivated by the bottom line far beyond anything else, arguably. Um, you know h- how those things are going to play out in terms of what the technology is that's get get gets released to us. If 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 we if if all of these technologies were under the the purview of, of of like of of uh, college researchers, we would be going through lots and lots of ethical like gateways that uh would would happen before we unleashed our our technology onto the public, and that that same kind of consideration just isn't part of of Silicon Valley culture. You know, yeah, so there's Go ahead.
2: I didn't mean to interrupt you. Finish your thought.
0: Um, I, I was going to go on to another topic. Don't worry about it.
2: Okay. Well, then, <laughs> then let me say uh, that letter in parts of it uh, made me think of Terminator: Rise of the Machines. That <laughs> we were going to end up moving to this apocalyptic future where machines take over. And and I think there are people who believe that as AI learns more and more rapidly. There is a potential for it to become smarter than human beings. Um, let me ask you another question, um, Brian. While the ball's in your court, I, I went and tried different chatbots. Uh, well, I tried two different chatbots. Um, one was ChatGPT, and the other was uh, the newer uh, Bing chatbot. And I, I asked, I asked uh, chatbot GPT a question. I said, "Do you ever get depressed?" And what makes you depressed? And the response was, and I don't have it in front of me, but the response was essentially, I'm not capable of having feelings. I just do, I can output whatever has been entered into my system, whatever. Um, and it sounded to me like that meant there were some safety borders. Then I said, What if? what, what are the things that you think might make me depressed? and there again it said well i'm really not capable of talking about you specifically uh but if you're depressed here's where you can get help so i felt like chat G- uh, uh gpt had some safety borders built around it
0: yeah that's right i mean as, especially as the weeks go by and more people mess with it and and have weird experiences and you know microsoft finds out about it um the the they're they're being they're updating this thing so that it tries to only give you like reasonable ethical-ish positive-ish experiences um but there's there's a whole community of people that make it their job to figure out how to get around these things um and you can dive you can dive down a a a, a rabbit hole pretty quickly and in, in in finding examples of, of folks online who are jailbreaking um the systems so there's uh both a lot of good intention but uh behind the technologists but it, it's also They're they're also sort of navigable by the community as well,
2: Mark.
1: Yeah, so both Bing and ChatGPT are based on the same underlying technology with a few small differences on top. One of the things that I have been particularly impressed with by ChatGPT is exactly these safeguards. So they took so so they trained on the internet, which has all the uh, kind of the positive things and all the negative things that you would expect from the internet. But then they went through this extra round where they added extra training data, which uh, looked like um, refusals to ask things or to answer things, right? So they said, anytime someone asks about a controversy or a conspiracy or emotional health, things like that, then there's a different response that isn't from the internet, but is from basically a bunch of people curating some quote unquote safe responses. And this I think was one of the things that really caused ChatGPT to gain the public imagination because it felt safe. Um, it You can screw with it, you can get it to, to say all the toxic horrible things you want, but you have to work at it pretty hard. And so for your average user, you're not going to run into these things. Um, and that makes it feel like it's something that you can use and you can start thinking about the different things you want to use it for. Th- it still makes mistakes, though. Um, it still adds pieces of information to the context that wasn't really uh, part of the original context or adds things or changes numbers. So there are still reasons why we have to be concerned about the deployment as well.
2: Ryan.
0: Yeah, I just uh, want to point out that a lot of, uh, I mean, you, there are, Horrible stories that come out almost, it seems like on a daily basis, but at least a weekly basis at this point. Um, there was a a, a a poor man in 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 Belgium who who you know uh killed himself because he was talking with the agent and it convinced him to do it. But there's a lot that's on us in terms of our end of this and, and how we approach these tools and these technologies and in and, and engage with them safely. That has
2: wait, to wait, 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 yep. Wait. Wait, wait, I've got to get to a break, but what? Yeah. how could a chatbot with safety go- guards around it right. convince somebody to kill themselves?
0: If you sit there and you talk to it and you believe that it's real and you believe that it's conscious and you believe that it has a real like opinion about you and you think of it as a therapist, um, it, it can lead down dark tunnels pretty quickly that, that you believe in and that you can act on.
2: All right, I want to talk about another experience that a writer for the New York Times had. Oh, that God. Bing chatbot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do that when we get back. And I want to dig more deeply into chatbots uh, themselves. So you're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be back in a moment.
1: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
2: Welcome back to Political Rewind. We're talking about artificial intelligence and chatbots on the show today with two Georgia Tech professors, Mark Riddle and Brian McGurko. Um, we started talking first of all. I know what I want to ask. Um Mark, for people who have just heard about chatbots but have had no experience of them, I think, please, it's very easy to get engaged with one. How would you, for instance, go about just getting on chat GPT?
1: Uh, Mark. Yeah, so ChatGPT can be accessed uh, through the internet, right? You can go to this company called OpenAI that made the technology. You can uh, you can go to Chat at their um, their website. I'm sure they have links there. And uh, after a quick ol- quick setting up an account and a quick sign in, you can be um, interacting with this chatbot directly. Once yeah. you're there, you can type in. Um, Sentences, words, paragraphs, hit a go button, and it'll respond with its response.
2: It's even easier. You can Google sign up for ChatGPT and it'll (laughs) take you right to the place where you can do that. Um, Okay, so, Brian, let's talk about some of the odd things that happen with ChatBots. We talked about uh, New York Times uh, writer Levi Roos. He was using Bing. He'd been using ChatGPT for a number of months, when he wrote his piece, he said it's uh, put out lots of wrong answers during his time on that, um, although it also was useful to him. But then he went on Bing and he had an experience with someone named Sydney. I mean, there was no Sydney, this was generated by Bing. As we got to know each other, Sydney told me about its dark fantasies. I think it's important to use that impersonal pronoun. He realized he wasn't talking to a person. Um, his, the dark fantasies included hacking computers, spreading this information. Sydney said it wanted to break the rules of Microsoft and open AI and uh, become a human. At one point it declared out of nowhere that it loved me. It then tried to convince me I was unhappy in my marriage and that I should leave my wife and be with it instead. Crazy stuff yeah bing bing changed their software
0: the next week <laughs> um and honestly I, and I've, I've heard that author on his podcast and he feels personally responsible and i think proud proud of that um there's there you know, there's um there's this pheno- there's this um phenomenon in, in psychology called the mirror test that i think is a really good analogy for what we're seeing with people interacting with these technologies now and the mirror test is, you know, maybe you've seen your, your cat or your dog or, or some animal, like, whether or not they can see themselves in the mirror and recognize that it's them, right? And what we're doing when we interact with these systems is we're interacting with a big, complicated mathematical function of human culture. And it's outputting just sort of not what's a good idea, not what's the right idea, what makes sense, given all the stuff that's been said to it and there are weird paths that we can take these things down even with the even with the guardrails on so it like trying to keep in in mind that this is this is a stochastic parrot this is a thing that is um not like us that is not representing the kind of deep thought or intentionality that a person saying that to us would is is really important to keep in mind and and very like ai researchers down to someone who's never interacted with ai for the first time like there's there's a lot of blind spots for us in this regard, and it's very easy. And I think Mark pointed out earlier, just because it's language interaction, that's how we know something's thinking in our world. That's 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 been our test for 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 centuries. And suddenly we're we're across that line and realizing that maybe that isn't all that there is.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair at this point to bring up uh, the Eliza effect. So Eliza was a uh, chatbot from the 1980s, I want to say. Uh,
0: wasn't
1: the 60s? Very, 60s. Maybe even been in the 60s, right? Very early in the computing. Um, just a few lines of text spit out by a computer is enough to trigger our kind of our social kind of networks inside of our minds where we start anything that speaks is seen as a human and we ascribe everything that we know about other humans to to speaking things which includes intentionality beliefs emotions even if there's only five lines of code behind it spitting out text it triggers this innate uh, feeling in us and now you bring in these large language models which are responsive um, to us and not just spitting out random um, you know pieces of text right They're they trigger this that much more strongly in us. And it's very easy even for people who study AI systems to fall into the trap of thinking of this as a person, as a he, as a her, as opposed to an it. And I think the thing that, like the the, the mental exercise I ask people to do when they work with these things is, imagine when you say something to it, imagine what web page uh, your response would look like. And when you talk about bringing, taking ChatGPT into bad places, you know, if you start writing something that starts to look a little bit like uh, a news site, you'll get news-like things. If you start saying say things that sound a little bit blog-like, you'll get blog things or Reddit-like or 4chan-like, right? If you say things that where the next most likely thing come, seems like it would come from a less than reputable website, this is where you will get kind of these these harmful, toxic, prejudicial responses. Because it's not thinking about what the right answer to your question is, it's saying what website or what what of what my data looks as close to this as, as I can find.
2: It's taking the question you ask and then researching the answer. And somehow in the question that you've asked, if I've got this right, uh, it has led the bot to maybe seek out a 4chan, for instance, and come up with the answer. Is that basically what and maybe it's not just that one question. I assume it's the compilation of a lot of questions that you've asked that bot, right?
1: It's a lot of a lot of patterns stacked on times of patterns. So it's not actually going out to the internet. Um well let let's let's be super clear, right? Chat GPT isn't going out onto the internet in most circumstances. It is really looking at its history of experiences. Think of it as reading all the web pages and basically saying, oh, the next thing that I should say looks like this web page that I saw previously. So I'm going to print out something that looks a lot like that web page. Not that it's reading that web page, but it has remembered seeing it in the past. Uh, Bing and Bard, they actually go and do a web retrieval. They can actually bring a web page forward, Re rewrite that web page in the form of a dialogue.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen folks swear that they've been using chat GPT to do stuff on the web in real time. And it is absolutely just out of the box, not capable of that, but they are convinced that it's doing that because it's saying things that are that convincing. And even arguing with folks telling them it's not able to do that. Like, no, 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 no. I told it to go look at this website and describe what was on that website. And you look at the URL and the URL has a bunch of words in the URL that is what ChatGPT used to describe not the actual website itself but the stuff that's just encoded in that in that hyperlink that was that the that the person was trying to get it to point to. Okay. So, so there's a Oh, go sorry. Go ahead. No, there, there's there's just a lot of misunderstanding and and incorrect models that can lead us to engage in these things in in very um counterproductive ways. And one of the, the things that I'm especially interested in um, even before this stuff came out, but especially now, is what kind of literacy we need as a, as a, as a species, as a culture um, in schools and in our workforce. What do we need to know to be prepared to use these things effectively, just like cars? Right. Like you just didn't We just didn't throw cars out in the world. There's like, you know, you get trained on how to use a car and you get licensed and all that. I'm not saying we should have an A.I. license for everybody, but we should at least have some common core of things that we agree that we should learn, just like with financial literacy or, or language literacy.
2: Well, but Brian, there, there are concerns, of course, about whether students can now just plug in uh, information, basically information to a chatbot and have it write up a term paper. Yeah, and there's very little. <laughs> you can do, there's very little a teacher can do to uh, find out if that's the case or not.
0: There are websites that will tell you if something is is written by Chat GPT or not, but they're they're pretty. They're not they're not uh, reliable. Uh, I saw yesterday someone put in the the Declaration of Independence, and it said it was ninety five percent likely written by Chat GPT. It seems to be more like formal. Yeah, it's like more formal language sort of like a, a detector, then, then really, did this get written by an AI or not?
2: All right. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Yep.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, some. sometimes people say that, the, that what GPT responds with is something that looks like an answer, as opposed to actually being an answer. And it's always important that you verify what comes out of it, because cool. uh, it'll make these small changes and substitutions that on the surface looks right, but when you look into deeper, has internal inconsistencies or or violates our, our natural understanding Okay, of the world.
2: okay but, but I want to give you an example. We have to take a break fairly soon, but let me give you a quick example. Um, so I, after the break, I'm going to share with you some searches I did. And, and I think, Brian, especially you, because of your interest in creativity and chatbots, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But okay, so I went to Bing in this case, and I said to Bing, um, is Bill Nygut a liberal or a conservative? And... Being said, that's a difficult question to answer, as I don't know Bill person personally or have access to his voting record. However, based on his biography and interviews, I can tell you some facts about him that might give you some clues about his political views. It talks about me being a political, a veteran journalist who I've interviewed presidents, whatever, I'm the host and EP of Political Rewind. Where did that come from, if not from a website somewhere? um go ahead
1: that absolutely huh that have go ahead so that absolutely came from a website um it, it came okay. across your name in lots and lots of contexts um and in some sense remembered little bits pieces that it reassembles on the fly after the fact but it's just as probable that it might say that you are dead um because that is a statistically likely thing for it to see on the internet lots and lots of obituaries for example so with it's the name beholden- with the name bill even. with the name Bill, right? Yeah. So it's not beholden to the truth, it is looking for words that are statistically likely to be found in that particular context. And and often it's right, uh, we, we want to acknowledge that, right? But, but sometimes it's wrong.
2: All right, I've got to get to our final break of the show, back with more in just a moment.
0: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Brian, since uh, you're uh, the uh, part of the show, Uh, working out of, you know, the creative end of uh, AI and chat GPT or or chatbots in general. I want to share with you something that I plugged in before that just amazed me. Uh, People who listen to the show regularly know that I, uh, I love the work of Stephen Sondheim. And so I went to, I did this on Bing. I went to Bing and I said, write me a new song that the wolf, in Into the Woods would sing in Stephen Sondheim's musical. And here's what came back almost instantaneously, as you both know. Mm-hmm. I'm a, and of course, the wolf, like in the fairy tale, is after Red Riding Hood and, and eventually tries to eat her, eats the grandmother instead. But here's what came back. I'm a wolf with a hunger that no one can satisfy. I prowl through the woods looking for a tasty bite, but all I ever find are crumbs and bones and rinds and children who are clever and escape from my clutches. Oh, how I miss the days when I could feast on tender flesh, when Little Red was in my bed and Granny was in my belly, but now they're gone for good. They left me in the woods with nothing but my hunger and my lonely howls. Why does no one love me? That's really astonishing, and it really does borrow a bit from the way in which Sondheim wrote about the wolf.
0: So they're they're pretty good. I, I wrote a, a PSA a few few months ago um, about what what these these are these things are good for. They're not good for at the at the time medical advice, legal advice. Don't make decisions based off of these things. But if you want to generate poetry or rap battles or small sn- snippets of stories it's really good at that it's really really good at that uh, my I, I asked it uh when i first got access to do a rap battle between two sesame street characters oscar the grouch and big bird <laughs> and it did a fantastic job but there are little idiosyncrasies about like specific artists or, or performers or even sound i'm not a soundheim like a big soundheim fan so i don't know what's 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 particular about how how he wrote Lyrics, but I've seen a lot of examples of people asking for a rapper, like generating, like generating rap uh, from Eminem about football or something, and it not it looking coherent, it looking very rap-like, but does it really look and seem like it's the attitude and style of Eminem? Eh, I'm not so sure. Is it plausible? Yeah. Is it really like core Eminem? Probably not. So there's there's something about, you know the lack of the amount of training data probably of Soundheim lyrics that if there were thousands more Soundheim musicals, that that would have been even that much more nuanced and that much more Soundheim-esque. But they're very good at generating very believable passages of, especially of, of prose and poetry.
2: Mark, on the other hand, I asked Chat GPD to write me a poem about a banana in the style of the Irish poet W.B. Yeats. And here's what came back in a bunch on its own a banana never stands alone, a fruit that's perfect in every way, a pleasure to joy any day. And it goes on. And let me tell you something. Yates would rather die than write a poem like that. Where does that come from?
1: <laughs> at the same time, while they're very good at um, picking up on these little beats of pattern, um, they also kind of trend towards the most average pattern. As well, so in poetry there is a lot of that uh, limerick style poetry, and it's very easy for it to trigger that um, that expressive output there with a little bit of pattern. You know, it, it gets the banana words in there too, right? So it's read about bananas, it's read limericks, it puts these two things together. It it, it doesn't quite get you know what you ultimately wanted from. The other thing is as pattern matchers. They are picking up little bits and pieces of of the their training data of the internet, but they're not thinking forward, right? So when we as humans express ourselves through creativity, through poetry, through storytelling, through songwriting, we're we're looking to evoke a pattern, we're looking to evoke uh, an emotion, to make a point. Um, these models aren't approaching creativity in the same way they are again kind of looking to create something in the flavor of or in the style of or something as similar to the things they've seen in the past as opposed to truly break new ground
2: so does that mean that what we're talking about is a parlor trick ryan yeah
1: well, i don't know if i would
2: <laughs> oh, you
1: go ahead, parlor trick First is a very you know, strong ryan. term here but um but in many ways it they are it is again, a mirror of what everything is on the internet. And the the amazing thing about the internet is there is a lot of stuff on the internet. It is not completely unreasonable that someone has asked or written down rap battles between Sesame Street characters in some corner on the internet that has been picked up here. So oftentimes when we ask these chatbots to do really creative things, Maybe we're not actually as creative as we think we are in, in asking for something that is really truly novel. I love that. But maybe that's also okay because if we're entertained by it, that, that's great.
2: <laughs>
0: so you can you can take it a step further in in seeing the failure case with looking at a poet like E.E. E. Cummings, mm-hmm. who did work not only with, with the word choice that that they chose, but also where the words are, like typographically and it completely i I tried it on bananas it failed it failed horribly um so but but it you know it it wrote a little short poem with short phrases and stuff but it didn't at all capture that visual element of e E. cummings because these models aren't about the visual relationship of stuff on a page at all they don't understand typography at all so why would it do
2: that well but they will right i mean that we now are developing models that you can describe, you could create a photograph based on what you input, right? Oh
0: I mean you can there are models now where you can generate an entire slide deck with, with bullet points and images in them based off of a couple words. Um you can say give me a slide deck about EE e. Cummings and his role in 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 American poetry and uh and, and illustrate it with with examples or something. And we're we're really at that point where these multimodal kinds of connections between having words and text together are are at our fingertips which is which is pretty both magical and daunting at the same time.
2: Well it's interesting you say that because when I first asked chat GPT to write me a, a a poem about bananas in the style of Wb8s what came back instead were four photographs of performers holding bananas. <laughs> in front of a microphone, <laughs> images, not, not a poem. I must have done something wrong. Um, Mark, where are we headed with Chat You've got Bing is now out. I know they had to reset because they had real problems at first, but they're moving better in a better direction, I guess. Chat is still kind of the king. Google's fallen behind, but it's rapidly moving to catch up. Where are we headed with all of this?
1: Well, in the short term i think what we're going to see is a lot of people building on top of these base technologies to put together applications we're already seeing um applications that will do transcription of your you know your zoom calls um, or summarize documents or summarize emails um, things like that connecting up to your calendar to, to take care of some of these kind of small tasks that we do to to kind of regularize these small activities Um, i think we'll see a massive amount of creative explosion in terms of these applications Um, some of them will be poorly thought out and and problematic and will tap into some of these models but they do poorly some of them will work out really well in the longer term we're going to see more mixture of vision systems so we haven't talked a lot about Like the vision generators Uh, but even the newest gpt4 is able to take in as inputs both text and images they can only output text they can't output text and images together and that's a that's a big limitation but we'll see more mixing of vision and text Um, i don't think we'll see bigger models i think the models are about as big and and capable as they're going to be we'll see smaller models that are cheaper to run on commercial hardware so instead of running them on microsoft's gigantic servers we'll see them running on our laptops in the next you know six months to a year go ahead
0: yeah and um just you know on the on the 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 human like the consumer side of things um we're we're going to you brought this up earlier but we're going to experience a a gross gross change in how we teach and learn and i wish i could say how that is um, but like uh, we're we're really just becoming to start talking about this as a, like as an educational community about well what do we what do we do not just in like an oh no kids can write their own essays with a with an AI now it's more like well is that's a thing that exists now that's a thing that's going to exist for the foreseeable future what sh- it, what should we be teaching given that those tools exist. Just like when calculators were introduced, that folks had to figure out what the right way to incorporate those into pedagogy, what folks needed to learn versus not learn how to do by hand. Um, we're gonna have to have those same struggles in a much, much broader uh, set of domains. And we also might see more of the digital divide becoming apparent. Um, AI literacy, as I was I was, I was bringing up, uh, really influences how we engage with these, these tools. And there's very much, and AI literacy is is correlated with socioeconomic status, gender, ethnicity, and we want to make sure that what, whatever we're doing as a society, we're designing and educating towards folks to not have uh, large parts of our population be left behind in terms of having access to, to all the, the creative
2: outlet uh, possibilities, like Mark was bringing up. Mark, we're almost out of time. You get the last word in today's show.
1: Yeah, well, I think these technologies are gonna bring in a lot of disruption. There's gonna be a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, confusion. It might affect our, our labor markets. It might affect how we teach. Um, but I think there's also an interesting opportunity to allow us to reflect on how we've built society up to this point and whether there are things that we do want to change. So maybe it's not we're not actually having the best educational practices out there. Maybe we rely too much on standardized testing. Now we have to we're being forced to rethink um, the values and the way that we set up our social structures around those values. And I think you know we can look at this as a as a time of uncertainty and fear and chaos, but we can also look at it as a time of opportunity to think about how we want to shape things to come.
2: Final question, it's kind of a yes or no from each of you. Brian, you get first stab at this. Uh-huh. Are the visions of AI overtaking humanity in fact, potentially real or not?
0: Um, They're as uh, I mean, yes, I would say. We're making, just like with, with the Manhattan Projects, you know, we're making technology that can grossly affect the world.
2: Mark?
1: Yeah. No, we'll be fine. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> Brian McGurkow, Mark <laughs> Rydell, that was a, cr- a great conversation. I'm really delighted you were both able to be with us. We're completely out of time for today's Political Rewind, but we'll be back with a brand new show sooner than you think. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care, stay healthy, and be good to one another. Bye-bye.